Nintendo Switch gets a refresh, maybe. We talk Google Stadia and GDC, and we have a second row review all lined up here on episode two of the Gaming Casuals podcast. Welcome to the Gaming Casuals podcast, brought to you by your hosts, John, Brandon, and Zach. We've got some news for you today, but let's begin. We have hints of a Nintendo Switch refresh. Yes, we yeah. do. Hmm. So last week in the Washington Times, we had an op-ed released that hints that we may see Nintendo Switch refreshes as soon as summer of this year. And I'd like to know what you guys think about that and what do you want to see in a Switch refresh? What's going to make you buy one? Ah, that's a tough question. Um, I got my Switch like day one yeah. with uh, when it came out was it a couple I. years ago. Yes. Yeah, it's been a couple years now. And I love it. The only thing that I would love to see more if there was a refresh was the controllers. I'd love to see better connection or some kind of Bluetooth. How, does it have Bluetooth in the current I, one? It does not have, it doesn't have Bluetooth, Bluetooth for headphones. As far as I know, yeah. Not yeah, for, for headphones. headphones yeah. For controllers, it does. I'd love to. Yeah, okay, that's right. So controllers, mine seem to drop a little bit more than usual when I'm a little further away. I've got my Switch docked um, kind of next to uh, where all the other stuff is and on the couch. Yeah. I seem to lose connection when I'm just right. outside of that range. <laughs> yeah. And so it really sucks when I'm playing, yeah. uh, you know, something like Mario Kart. That's my excuse when I'm playing Mario Kart and I lose to someone like you is that I'm outside of range. Happens my controller is just yeah. Yeah. Lost so. connection, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I, I would love to see more of a, a, a better connection with the controllers, something along the lines there, and Bluetooth with headphones. Zach, what do you want to see Nintendo Switch refresh? What are your thoughts? <laughs> so I would agree with what Brandon said, and uh, there's just kind of some some knickknacky stuff. Uh, my trajectory of using the Nintendo Switch was basically, uh, I want the Nintendo Switch for a couple reasons, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild, uh, right. and I have amazing hardware. I have a great PC and a PS4 Pro. How am I going to convince myself to start playing Nintendo Switch games? The games were so good, I found myself playing Switch games way more than anything else, mm. uh, which is a testament to the console in its own, I think. And uh, But I did get to this point, my, like there's this high, and then I got down to this like, wow, there's like not the weird peripheral stuff that I love about like full-on consoles, like audio ports and, and just kind of like the range and the capabilities of the hardware itself. It kind of the enjoyment lies in the game itself, so... Um, yeah, just improvements all around. Maybe some some quality of life stuff. Uh, overall, it, it seems okay. But what, so, uh, what do you expect? So what I think, you know, Nintendo Switch. Well, Nintendo in general has really brought about, I would say, like anniversary refreshes for a lot of its stuff. Mm-hmm. Nintendo 3DS is one of them. They kept pushing out Nintendo 3DS updates with new new 3DS. Now they've retired that system. You know, Switch is like it's their flagship. They're trying to push a lot of units out. They have already. Which is one of their like highest selling, you know, consoles of their history, and I think you know as far as like what we might see and what I want to see, I think a big thing will be battery life. Yes, I think they're going to update their battery, which would be a really great thing for a lot of us. Yeah. The Switch has this issue of when you plug it in, the battery does not charge properly. Like it doesn't <laughs> charge in a timely manner. No. You have to keep it docked for an extremely long time and turned off for charging to actually take place. I think we may see a bigger switch. I think we may see a bigger screen. I think we may see we may see a high a high end switch and a more consumer end switch. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to market to both sides of that spectrum with that. We may see 1080p. The switch runs a native 720 on their screen right now. Um, but, undocked, right? Undocked. Yeah. Yeah. And so with 
with a change in that, you know, they're also going to, we may see a bigger screen, which would change, you know, the hardware, obviously, you know, I don't want to buy all new switch controllers, <laughs> but you know, for a 1080p switch with a bigger battery, I don't know. I might just bite the bullet on that. Um, but we'll see what happens in summer. Obviously, all these are rumors. We don't know for sure if that's going to actually happen. But it's nice to imagine it every once in a while. Quick question yeah. for you, too. Yeah. Uh, if you think there's going to be like a high-end uh, switch and like a, a, a casual switch, uh, do you think they'll do anything at all with the Joy-Cons kind of like built in for a strictly handheld-only mode or something? Uh, do you think there is a market for that if the 3DS is kind of going – the the way of the oh, dodo. Man. I mean, it's 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 tough it's tough to actually tell. Like, it, <laughs> it depends on whether they really want to corner that 3DS market again. I think the Switch has so much compatibility and functionality, you know, in the dock mode, outside the dock mode. It would be it would be remiss for me to say they're going to make a permanent <laughs> like handheld Switch. Um, but you know, with a price point low enough, I know a lot of people like 300 bucks for the modern Switch is not an easy thing to fork over. And if they're going to offer a switch that's going to be strictly handheld mode, and they make it along the price of you know 200, 180, depends on whatever. But that might be an option for the clientele, especially if you have young kids, you don't want them mm -hmm. playing on the big switch that you're playing on, or you want to <laughs> you want to have multiplayer functionality, but don't want to have to like sit it in a dock, or you know you want to you know have that you know you want to have bigger battery or whatever. Like it might be an option for them. Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens, but. It's all exciting. I you think buy a Game really Gear great. if you wanted to. Exactly. You know, That's exactly basically a Game, a game Gear. I know yeah. for me, when I first got my Switch, Zelda, of course, it was my Zelda console, and I yeah. played it almost entirely in handheld mode, uh, just laying really? in bed. Dude, my I hands know. cramped. Wow. I couldn't well, do it. I had a I, pro controller, that sucker. I really wish I had done more on the TV because yeah. I literally, my only experience with Breath of the Wild is handheld. That's kind of cool, though. It's cool, but yeah. I, I, it, I don't have that same connection to, like, Ocarina of Time when I first right. saw it on TV. So I want to go back and replay that yeah. on uh, on the big screen just because I want to see what it feels like to yeah. <laughs> to have it uh, not in handheld, in TV mode. And so I will say to that, like, I think it's a bit like, I didn't notice 720p yeah. on the handheld mode. Not at all. Like, it looked so great, so crisp. Yeah. Obviously, the screen is not a huge thing. It right. wasn't blown out, but I really enjoyed playing handheld as well as docked, and I think it's great you could go right back from one to the other. Agreed. So. I have a question, too, uh, just related to Switch, um, talking about the 720p, if, if they do come out with a 1080p. Um, when they have games that are multi-platform, like, for example, the Final Fantasy games they're re-releasing, uh, I know for me, I am trying to decide, do I want to get like Final Fantasy VII, X, X2, IX, all those on the Switch, or do I want to get out on the Xbox? I think the Switch is the way to go, man. And that's, like, it, the is, experience is just so incredible. Is it, like Why any, do you think it's incredible on the Switch? Just man, curious. I just... Xbox requires a lot of, like, I need to sit down, grab my controller, mm -hmm. boot up my Xbox, turn on my TV, and invest all this time in a retro game that I may not want to sit down and marathon for two hours, right? Sure. And I think for a lot of retro games, you know, there's... There's still some joy in playing them, but if I can enjoy them in 30-minute increments, if mm -hmm. I can flip my, my sleep switch on and, like, before bedtime play around a Final Fantasy VII or whatever, I think for those for those indie games and those retro games that you don't want to invest, like, hours upon hours of time in, especially if you played them before, I yeah. think the Switch offers so much, like, functionality and, like, compatibility to be able to do all that and not have to worry about investing a ton of time in it. Yeah, it's an interesting question, uh, and I think it's probably why a Switch is really successful is mm -hmm. there's different channels. Like, uh, mobile uh, mobile console with retro games on it is, like, really appealing, like John said. Um, I think when it comes to, like, a, a port or, like, a, a cross-platform kind of situation, 
um, I would almost always buy it on like my most powerful console yes. uh, because I, I basically only play Switch docked. Um, and if I'm not playing it docked, I, I, I have a hard time playing like, a <laughs> big 3D experience. Yeah, you right. know, yeah. I'm playing like Stardew or like Final Fantasy VII, uh, quick round of fun. There's no quick round of Final <laughs> Fantasy VII. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's different lanes. Like yeah. retro gaming is great for handheld. Uh, docked, it's a good experience for exclusives. Um, but when it comes to multi-platform, for me, I would I would buy on like PS4 Pro or something like that. Let's segue a little bit. Let's go talk about Game Developers Conference. Zach, yeah. you've got some news on that. Tell us about yeah, GDC. Absolutely. So this took place in San Francisco between March 18th and 22nd. Um, this is a big convention uh, for developers to talk about gaming things. Um, this Unrelated is, to PAX East, by the way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, it, it's always interesting because you have these big developers coming to talk to uh, developers of any size, and they're they're kind of sharing secrets. It's, it's a very, like, industry-first uh, kind of convention. Um, lots of great talks. Uh, they A lot of this is behind their, what they call the vault, like GDC vault, that you can pay for and, and watch these talks, but there are also a lot of really good free ones from uh, previous years, like... Uh, my favorite are there's a Diablo postmortem, nice, um, and it's a lot of like <laughs> how how they created uh, Diablo and the issues they ran into and like how they make each thing move, um, how they got funding for it, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the other one is uh, man, I forgot what it is. It, there's one on Breath of the Wild that's really great, uh, but my favorite is World of Warcraft uh, loot uh, like reward systems so it's like how, how do, do you reward how, yeah how do you design a, like something <laughs> yeah. like that like well the guy started on world of warcraft uh and then he went over to diablo 3 uh which is like a totally different game it's like a co-op game or single player game um so it's it, that's very interesting it's a, a lot of psychology a lot of what they implemented um the kind of the the bottom line to that was uh be generous with players like sure. give them loot kind of thing which i still see people struggling with today like anthem yes. had that problem on release yes right. yeah. uh i think destiny had that problem twice but uh, yeah gdc was great uh it was lots of good talks uh, just finished and i'm sure their youtube channel will have uh new stuff added to it uh, for 2019 talks. Yeah, we'll keep that posted up on Twitter. If you have yeah. anything, we'll post it up for you guys. Mm-hmm. But speaking of game developers, Apple had an event last week. Yes, they did. Apple Arcade. And yeah. Brandon, we'll talk about Apple Arcade and Google so, Stadia with us. What's going on with that? Yeah, so Apple Arcade, I feel like uh, both Apple Arcade and Google Stadia, from just the, the little bit that I've seen, it it feels kind of like their, their version of what Microsoft xCloud is hoping to be, I think, where, or at least with Google Stadia, you've got, uh, what is it? there's no hardware, right? It's just a controller you can buy, but everything is all done streaming. Yep. So you can play on your iOS devices, your TV, uh, tablets, computers, whatever, but you have that same experience across all platforms, which seems really cool. I, I mean, I like the idea of that, but I also know what's coming too from what Microsoft has teased. Um, I think that Apple Arcade, from what I understood on Apple's keynote, was it is a collection of games that are exclusive to Apple devices, again, on all of Apple's platforms, iOS, macOS, tvOS, and it is, uh, there's no ads, it's uh, no in-app purchases or anything, and you pay a monthly fee and have access to all these games, similar to Xbox Game Pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know exactly where I stand in what these things are. I need to see more from both platforms. But it is interesting. It's just a, I would love to know what you guys think on 
the state of gaming when it comes to uh, services like that. Yeah. So. So I know for me, like personally, Apple Arcade didn't seem like a huge thing that I wanted to really invest in. I'm. I grew up. You know, as a millennial, obviously, growing up, like, console games, consoles, Nintendo, Xbox, Sony were, like, the big three that I solely, when I play video games, I went to those three, right? Yep. And so to see these tech giants like Google Stadia and Apple Arcade going into the realm of gaming, you know, we have been ingrained with these with these franchises in our mind, mm-hmm. and for Apple to kind of bring in all these indie developers and create really great content I don't know if it's I don't know if it's gonna be an easy thing for them to market to to someone like me who really enjoys console titles, who likes the flagships, who likes the Halo, who likes Zelda, who likes Final Fantasy, and to be able to invest in these I don't know I feel like kind of one-off games, and I like to see your thoughts on that. But why do you think these tech giants are like? pushing getting into this this gaming realm what's the, what's in it for them you think well I, I think they see that the gaming industry is a huge industry yeah uh, and, that, sure. and they want to be a part of that um i think you're absolutely right i think games dictate kind of where the players go um huge console exclusives like halo and, and any of the other ones that you mentioned that is something that i would want to see on these platforms now i think google stadia has uh the ability to do that um yeah. But uh, the, the flip side, I know that you know when Microsoft came around with the Xbox, that was like, what is yeah, Microsoft what is who thing? makes Windows? What are they what doing? Is the Xbox? Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, that has what was that almost twenty years ago, and now that's been uh, you know that's a staple. That's one of the right. big three. It's a household yeah. name. Yeah. So I I, uh, I don't want to write it off yet. I will say, from my perspective, I'm not really. Super excited just yet. I, I tend to be a few. I'm, I'm more of a games guy. I want to see that. But, you know, Halo was a, you know, was, was, was an indie thing back in the day. You Do you know? think they'll have a shot to take the family market? Because I feel like a lot of these games are meant yeah. for, like, small families and maybe, yeah. maybe people who want to play a small game and get off and get back on again. I think Apple Arcade is already leveraging the, the slice of the market that mm-hmm. uh, the App Store has already claimed. They're, I, I think there was a time where Apple considered taking on the gaming market uh, proper, but... Uh, they kind of found their own platform with, um, you know, iOS games, uh, like family-friendly games, like you mentioned, um, things that work well on on Apple TV or work well on an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the impression that I got is that they'll they'll kind of stay in that lane a little bit. Um, that's not to say that they won't have the capability to push that. Sure. Uh, but I I would expect Apple to kind of stay in their their uh, App Store <laughs> lane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Stadia, it's it's a much bigger. Uh, piece of the pie, I think. Um, they're talking about like 4K streaming. Yeah. Um, they said 25 uh, megabits download speed is going to be the minimum for 1080p and then 50 for 4K. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's like very ambitious. Um, and <laughs> right, yeah. to, your, to your question, I think the reason Google stepped into this is uh, they've got the relationships and they certainly have the infrastructure to right, do something. Right, they totally like do. This. Yes. Um, my final thought on it is I've got more faith in, in gaming streaming taking over than I do like VR or something right now. Yeah. Right. Um, while there's not a whole lot uh, to actually look at, I, I think it's likely. So I'm excited for it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, as far as like as far as what new releases happened this week, we got some reviews for you guys. But um, Yoshi's Crafter World got released um, Friday, March 29th. So cute. Yes. And, I, and I know like. <laughs> so cute. I think Nintendo really does a great job of making family-friendly games that people can enjoy. My wife and I have enjoyed playing Mario Odyssey oh, in yeah. co-op. Yeah. And if you guys love family-friendly games, um, it's not a AAA title. 
but it's it's a gorgeous game. It's developed by uh, Goodfeel, same as Yoshi's Woolly World for Wii U, and then it features Unreal Engine 4 and does have a co-op mode. So nice. if you have kids who like who like Yoshi, who need something to play, um, I think it'll be a great game. That's good. I'll pick it up and let you guys know what That's that good to know. The, the yeah. last like really solid gaming experience my wife and I had was, uh, I think, like Super Mario Brothers, like you. And it's or tough or to find those. a great co-op it game is. that you can totally both enjoy. Is, yeah. And I think a part of it is like, can you maintain like attention, alternating skill sets? Like my wife is not right. as good at games as I am. Like, Ooh. can she keep up to some degree? <laughs> you know, and then, you yeah. know, and obviously, like I'm a little more hardcore when it comes to that. But I think Nintendo does a good job of finding the balance right. between both. That's good. And so, um, but we've got two more exciting announcements on games. We've got Borderlands and Divinity. Yes, go for it, Zach. Absolutely. So we had a uh, kind of a teaser trailer, Mask of Mayhem for Borderlands Three. Yes. Um, it didn't outright say this is Borderlands Three, and then we quickly got a. <laughs> Fully fledged oh, yeah. trailer showing kind of like what they're doing with it. Yeah, um, I think a, a lot of fans are kind of cautiously excited because it's been so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gearbox has had some failed projects along the way, uh, and this is kind of the next thing. Um, it looks very similar, except it's kind of revved up. They definitely know what their fans want because they're they uh, they're talking about the same things that are in Borderlands 1 and oh, 2, yeah. which is exciting for me. I just want returning, more guns. And <laughs> oh, yeah, returning characters. Yeah. Like, in that trailer, there was so much to it. It yeah. was three minutes and breakdown of every shot. It was like, yes. oh, he's in it and she's in it. This is so right. cool. Yeah. So Very uh, <laughs> in-your-face, very, like, uh, it's rewarding uh, longtime Borderlands right. fans yes. because it's showing all the, well, the different characters. One and two characters. guys, just so oh, you guys know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so uh, super excited about handsome. that. And then they also paired it with uh, Handsome Collection okay. uh, HD upgrade. I don't mm-hmm. know yet if it's just going to be it, like an update to Handsome Collection, but um, that's pretty cool, too. That's yep. a nice way to little package it. Yes. Awesome. And Divinity Fallen Heroes. Divinity Fallen Heroes. So, uh, my... Wait, before you, before you start, could you give like a little synopsis on the Divinity franchise? Yes, as a whole for us? <laughs> absolutely. So... Divinity uh, comes from Larian Studios, which I, I believe is a Swedish uh, studio. They they are heavy on like story focused games. Um, Divinity became popular with Original Sin One. Divinity Original Sin. Um, it's kind of a, a callback to the old like top down RPGs. Very D and D esque as well. Very D and D esque. Yeah, it's like kind of slower, almost turn based, uh, but this like sprawling environment and world with like very deep mechanics. Um, so Divinity Original Sin 2 came out. It was like an iteration on an amazing game already. Game. Yeah. Um, so this is a direct, uh, like this happens right after Original Sin 2. Uh, but it's a totally different layout of a game. Right. I shouldn't say totally different. It's, it's very similar, but it's like XCOM, Final Fantasy Tactics kind of uh, co-op, um, session-based, uh, turn-based kind of tactics game. So it's interesting from, I mean, even for, like, Divinity fans uh, or people that just want to jump into the series, it's really exciting because it's a little more, uh, I, I think, friendly to newcomers of the series. Yeah, that makes sense. Divinity yeah. can be very overwhelming, especially those who don't want to spend very. hours, like, building characters yeah. or running quests or whatever. Yeah, it's just a step down from, like, uh, getting your friends together and finding someone to DM and creating your uh, own, you know, Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Right. Yeah, uh, It's a little bit more friendly than that, but <laughs> not much more. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Fallen Heroes and to, to learn more about it. And, nice. and Brandon, you've been playing Division 2 this week. We yes. talked about it last podcast. We wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Give us the Division 2. What's going yes. on with that? Have you guys played the Division 2, by the way? I have not. Not yet. My games things. of service game is like on low right oh, now. It's been okay. Sekiro <laughs> so, exclusively since okay. last Friday. Have you guys played Division 1? I did play Division okay. 1. Yeah. So 
Division Two came out uh, March fifteenth, I believe, and it is, in in my opinion, I, and I'm playing from a casual so perspective. It's like third person, like third person shoot a loot shooter. Okay. Uh, it is something that tactics heavy. Yes, uh, I I love it. I, I've been having a great time, and one of the big things I can attribute that to is that I'm playing with friends and family. I, I love going out there into Washington, D.C. and jumping in with a, a couple friends and going through a mission uh, here and there. It's something that's very easy to pick up and play real quick, but it's also nice. something you can sink a lot of time into. If you've played Division One, it's very similar to Division One in, in the best ways. Right. And then there's a lot of quality of life improvements that have been so nice. Um, a lot of simplification in some of the uh, the things with, uh, you in the old game, or in Destiny, Destiny, wow. In Division One, you could pick up water bottles and, and these explosive rounds, and you had to equip them and all these things that some people like myself, never really did because you always forget about it. Exactly. And now uh, I was playing last night with uh, my my brother-in-law, Andrew, and uh, uh, and a buddy of ours, and we went through and I picked up these velocity rounds. I was like, oh, how do I equip these? And they're like, no, no, it's already equipped. Your next 30 (laughs) rounds. I was like, this is amazing. This is so great. Um, There's things uh, really great about it. Uh, The the gear, of course, is is one of the best things. You mentioned earlier in the game, uh, or early in the podcast, about Mm -hmm. uh, gear drops, loot drops in, in general, and some games can be stingy with them, and they don't realize how important that is to players. De- Division 2 does not have that. They, I'm getting gear left and right, and it's such a great awesome. gameplay loop to pick up some knee pads and, oh, sweet, these are way better than what I had, yeah. and then turn on the corner and I've got a new shotgun and whatever yeah. it is. So I'm having a blast. I'm only level 15 right now, uh, but I, I love playing. I haven't played too much solo yet, mm. so I, I don't know how that feels um, by myself with the AI, but I know that jumping in with a bunch of people, even though they're way higher level, it scales us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had a blast going through some of the missions, just the four of us. Yeah, so talking about like someone who wants to pick up the game, you know, I know a big part of Destiny is you have to keep up with your friends in order to play. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit about like what does that mean for Division? Is it a big like I have to keep up with this game to keep playing it, or can I pick it up and drop it for a while and come back to it later? Yeah, so I so I think the last time we shot our podcast, I had just kind of started because the game had just come out, and I didn't have a ton of time to play. Uh, I had, was like level three or four, and some of my friends already were just playing nonstop. When I got on last night. I was a considerable amount less than them, but when I jumped into their world, I was immediately scaled up to their level. So I was able to jump in, play with them. I was able to keep up. It felt really good to be able to do damage to these (laughs) high-level enemies and not feel like, well, I'm just cheating. Yeah, you didn't miss out on terrible Exactly. And And still rewarding for you. It was still rewarding. I was able to pick up gear that was still relative to my level, which is nice. Uh, And then when I go back into my game, it was... It sounds weird. It's like, okay, I'm going to this game, but it's very seamless how it works. It's great. And I, all my gear still stayed with me, and it was still matched my level. It didn't jump. I wasn't jumping too far ahead or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And, and the only thing was when other of uh, my teammates would pick up gear, you can drop and share loot. Uh, a lot of their gear hmm. was level 28, 29, 30. Yeah. I, being, you know, at the time was level 8. I couldn't use any of it, but it was great to, to hold a, could a, a purple. Or, you, yeah, yeah. Could you save yeah. it for when you release? Yes. So you got up to that level? Yes, I could save nice, it. Okay. Um, yes, so that was one of the reasons why they were dropping some of the stuff. Hey, when you get to this level, you can equip this, so it'll be really nice. Um, but I, I loved it. It was great to be able to play it. I did not feel like I was missing out. Uh, I could jump in, jump out, and I felt like it was... Yeah. And the story missions aren't super... St- 
linear, I feel like. Uh, I was able to jump in this story mm. mission and not feel like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, at least in my playthrough last night. So Excellent. Well, we would be remiss if we <laughs> didn't talk about a game that is near and dear to Zach and I's heart, especially this week, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. <laughs> I have got Sekiro to show you guys. I've got the standard box art you can get for PS4, and then I've got a limited edition steel book because I'm bougie like that, <laughs> which you can buy separate on Amazon if you'd like. But just to give you some background, I need to amend some statements from last podcast. So oh. in Sekiro, you are not samurai. You are not Ronin. Oh. You are shinobi. Oh. You are a ninja. And it takes place during the Sengoku era of Japan. For those of you guys who don't know, that's 1400 to 1700. And uh, Sengoku was very much a time in Japan where it was dominated by warring clans and a whole lot of bloodshed. It's similar to the warring states era of China. But Shinobi, the, the ninja, actually started off in a little town in Japan called Koga, Japan. So if you play Pokemon Red and Blue and you've been to Fuchsia City, Koga is a gym leader there, and he has, and he is he is ninja. So that's uh, what that meant. So there you go. Just, you know. I find myself <laughs> listening to Johnson's. I'm like, how's this going to come back? To I feel Pokemon? like I should just be like, oh, yeah, yeah. wow, this is a random tidbit about <laughs> Pokemon okay. and Sekiro awesome. for you guys. Yeah. But um, Sekiro is very much different than a standard Souls game, in my opinion. And it brings back the core of a Souls game with some major differences. So first off, like, there's a huge balance between combat and stealth. I feel like in this game, the game actually gives you a lot of story up front as opposed to a standard Souls game or Bloodborne where you had to really find out what the story was about. They're very much outright with, here's the setting, here's the story, here's what your task is. Um, I'm going to stop talking now, give Zach some time, but... I think it's incredible. I've really oh, enjoyed yeah. this game. Talk about it, Zach. It's it's amazing. It's incredible, and it's uh, playing Sekiro or any Souls like game is uh, like we talked about last time. It's it's very like it's different than other games. You play. <laughs> I find myself like playing long spans of time, and then being like, I should probably step away from this for a while. Uh, I'm actually getting worse at these encounters, and it's a lot of like mental game. Like you, you kind of think it over. Uh, Sekiro. One thing Sekiro does is there's not a whole lot of uh, stat progression. Um, right. I mentioned farming last podcast, but uh, it's really in this game. It's like you can unlock like new move sets, mm. but you still have to be able to use the move sets uh, <laughs> yeah, correctly. You still got to be good. <laughs> yeah, still got to be good. Yeah. Just as much a chance of dying as a higher skilled yes. shinobi than you are if you were just playing the game. Oh yeah, 20 hours later beginning. you can like go to like oh let me see the starter area and just like be overconfident and I can totally own this dude and then die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing game. Um, I mean it, it nails the the souls like uh, formula. While Bloodborne was probably the most aggressive version of Dark Souls that we've seen, I think this is still it rewards aggression, but there's like a stealth component to it. So there's there's that balance there too. Right. And I and I, as far as combat is concerned like it's very much based on this parry-deflect offensive mechanic. You mm-hmm. cannot just spam your attack buttons mm-hmm. and overwhelm a foe. Like yeah. You have to take time, step back, deflect opponents. A big part of this game is the posture-break mechanic, yep. where if you posture-break your opponent, it opens them, up, opens them up to what's known as a shinobi death blow, mm-hmm. and that's how you finish characters off in this game and collect the loot from them. But you know, that's unlike Bloodborne, where I could just like spam my, my R trigger and just kill a last boss last minute, or I can kill a mob last minute or rush through something like that. Like it's very much a, you know, I have to time my strike. You know, certain moves can only be countered by certain skills, and it's very much a very much more of a mental game than it is I'm gonna rush through this thing and kill everything kind of a thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, the posture the posture meter was the kind of the big thing introduced here. And it's interesting, almost every fight you're kind of uh, balancing this 
do I want to take his posture down so I can get like an instant kill? Uh, or do I want to like go for health? Um, you're making those decisions constantly. And really it comes down to like a health bar mm-hmm. and a posture bar. Um, and it's amazing how much complexity within that is, is possible. So yeah, it's great. I can't wait to play more. Um, <laughs> I, it, it's funny. I had this experience, uh, when I started playing Sekiro where I kind of hit a wall, I did a lot of farming. I kept hitting that same wall and I'm like, man, this is driving me nuts. Um, and then I went to like a different type of boss beat it. It was way easier than the first time I encountered it. And it opened up like a huge amount of content. And, uh, from the look of it, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot behind this boss, but once you open it, there's like more branching paths. So, um, it, it rewards you for changing up and revisiting encounters that were not necessarily doable before, which I love. Yeah. We can confirm there is a new game plus on Sekiro. So if you play through Sekiro once and you didn't get every skill, you can replay the game like a dark souls game, on a much higher difficulty level, oh. but you can continue the story from the beginning and then continue to have your rewards. Um, one thing I want to bring up, you know, this game is gorgeous. Like, this game it's was great. designed incredibly well, and I really think it juxtaposes the brutality of the combat with how beautiful the setting is. You're playing Japan in the wintertime, in like early fall, twilight, like it's just a gorgeous game. You can hear the leaves rustling, you can sneak through the grass, and you hear this incredible, the incredible foley. On this game, and as far as nice. someone, like, I like to play games with my headphones on, yeah. and like that effect of being able to like hear the leaves rustling, hear the wind as you play, even like the deflects and parries and like weapon work, you hear all those sound effects are just incredible. So if you guys like Souls-based games, you like that brutal combat, you really enjoy like. Leaves rustling, those, right? Yeah. Or, or leaves <laughs> rustling. Actually, my, uh, <laughs> while I was playing, so. my, my wife walked in while I was playing it, and I had. Uh, not knowingly, I'd covered myself in uh, like rose blossoms, like cherry blossom petals. In, on the couch? On the couch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she was like, the, the, What's the petals are going to ruin the couch. And I was like, This is part of the game. So, but yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Incredible attention to detail at the game. That's yeah. cool. Well, we thank you guys for joining us for our second episode of the Gaming Casuals podcast. Um, you can find us on all things social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Please like and subscribe. Let us know what you guys think about it. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great day. See ya.